Hi! Before we begin today's episode, actor Ramesh Arvind has a message for you. Listen in. Climbing a mountain itself is very tough. Why insist on carrying it? COVID has risen to mountainous proportions. Refusing vaccination is like carrying a mountain load of tension on your back. Just get it off. Get vaccinated. My family and I have got vaccination done. Now, it's your turn. You heard him. Make a difference. Get the jab. Hashtag jab well done. Welcome to the Lead by DH Radio. During the second wave of the pandemic, we saw a surge in cases of mucormycosis. And there have been many questions about what exactly is this. Today's episode is part of a series All Things COVID by GCCMC, a COVID-19 knowledge and collaboration platform enabled by Wipro in collaboration with Deccan Herald. Today, an expert panel of physicians will speak about mucormycosis. Listen in. Uh, let me introduce GCCMC first for those of you who joined for the first time. GCCMC is a, is, a, is a corporate social responsibility initiative by Wipro uh, to support physicians as well as and now the public during the pandemic. Uh, what, G, what, what Wipro has done is has uh, worked in creating uh, COVID hospitals in Pune. My friend, Dr. Mahesh Kant, is in charge of it. it we have also worked uh, in, in, you know, in, in providing supplies and oxygen and in, in, in creating uh, social media and in creating awareness, uh, providing volunteers to, to COVID-19 initiatives. Each of this has been done uh, by, this, by this coalition. Today is very special because uh, I have a... Have Hello, endocrinologist joining me. I, I have never taken part in this platform so far. I just introduced people and left, but Sambit sort of uh, forced my hand saying that Sanjay Batata is here and therefore I have to be. So I will need Sambit to introduce everyone. Sambit is the master of everything. From Orissa, he pretty much, you know, uh, if, you, if, you, if you land in Bhubaneswar and say, sir, they, everyone will... Uh, complete the name and say, we will take you to Sambit's home. So that is how famous Sambit is in Odisha. Uh, he is a uh, professor in the medical He is in charge of the Apollo Sugar franchise in, in Odisha. He owns 90% of the Odia real estate market also. With that brief introduction, I'll let Sambit take over. Sambit? Thank you, sir. Uh, thank you for that uh, introduction. Hope I am audible. So, uh, a yes. very good evening, one and all. And uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Krishna Sashadri, sir, for giving this opportunity. And uh, it's a very nice platform. And uh, uh, for an introduction, we all know that recently with the second wave of COVID-19, the Indian subcontinent has been witnessing a dramatic rise in a fungus known as mucormycosis. The media is telling it as black fungus. And uh, people who have recovered from or are recovering from COVID-19. Mucormycosis is not a uh, new disease. It's a highly invasive uh, fungal infection affecting predominantly the immunocompromised uh, patients. And we know that uh, mostly it has 
affected in post uh, transplant or ckd patient or cld patients uh, but with covid 19 infection with uh, uncontrolled hyperglycemia maybe with rampant use of uh, corticosteroids uh, maybe with uh, different uh, iron kinetics or iron supplements or various other causes which uh, i think dr jayprakash will discuss this disease has resurfaced in a very mammoth uh, proportion and we know the morbidity and mortality of this disease is quite high up to 30% and uh, this this is creating a uh, great concern uh, among the doctors in the government setup and everywhere so it's high time we should discuss something about this uh, important uh, disease especially in this uh, condition of uh, covid 19 so to discuss about the cause risk factors diagnosis management issues of this onoli uh, trinity we call it as uh, diabetes covid and mycomycrosis we are uh, here uh, in this evening with our four esteemed experts and uh, they will be dealing with all the uh, scenarios of uh, mycomycrosis and covid 19 and diabetes and we have initially 15 15 minutes talk uh, by uh, first by dr prakash shahu and he will be discussing on uh, uh, covid 19 diabetes and mycomycrosis followed by dr pritam will be discussing about uh, the various uh, aspects of uh, management both uh, surgical and medical management so we have four eminent uh, experts today as our uh, panelists and uh, it's my utmost pleasure to uh, introduce uh, my teacher and mentor dr sanjay kumar badada and uh, sir is a md dm in endocrinology and uh, fcm and uh, frcpi mnms and he is the professor and head of endocrinology of department of endocrinology at pjmer chandigarh his area of interest is metabolic bone disorders and diabetes and uh, he has got uh, almost 250 publications in various uh, international journal and the best part is that he has contributed to a chapter of williams textbook of endocrinology and we deal williams textbook of endocrinology as the as the uh, most gold standard uh, book in endocrinology he has received uh, many orations among them is uh, professor sps tyoti oration on indian phpt uh, registry dr subhas mukherjee oration award in ascon and by endocrine society of india uh, he also received oration from icmr that is mn sen and om prakash kunti oration award for his research work in primary hyperparathyroidism he is founder of aditi which deals with uh, young type 1 diabetic patients uh, for uh, medical social and vocational health He is ex-secretary and current executive of uh, ISBMR, and ex-secretary and chairman of uh, chairman elect of uh, Punjab chapter of RSSDI, and he has been involved in uh, diabetes mycomycosis. And recently, in last month only, uh, there is a large publication where uh, Sir was uh, the lead author. Uh, we have another panelist, Dr. Krishna Shashadri. I and I, I was introduced by the. Uh, uh, GCCMC that everyone knows uh, about Krishna Sashadri, so no need to introduce. But uh, it's my pleasure to introduce uh, Dr. Sashadri. He is an AB certified endocrinology and diabetes metabolism, uh, and he is consultant at Chennai Diabetes and Endocrine Clinic. And he also heads the Apollo Sugar, and he is a senior consultant at Apollo Hospitals Chennai. Uh, he is visiting professor in endocrinology at uh, Sri Balaji Vidyapeet and MGM Health. recipient of pnsa oration of endocrine society sam gp moses oration of rssdi and sindhu pandit oration of medical education 
funded translational research currently on circadian rhythm and metabolism. Hmm. He's also the president of Endocrine Society of Tamil Nadu and Puducherry. He is associate editor of uh, Journal of Diabetes in Developing Countries and editor in chief of uh, TRP or Thyroid Research and Practice. He is member of curriculum expert of uh, group of National mm-hmm. Medical Council, and uh, his uh, tech interest yeah, in device of EMR Connect and machine learning. He is also advisor to uh, GCCMC and Wipro. He is uh, part of this. Uh, uh elite forum and uh, his interest is in uh, machine learning uh, chola history and uh, aditya philosophy so uh, these are part of his uh, hobby and interests the third panelist is uh, my very close friend dr jayprakash sahu he is uh, md medicine from pga and dm from ems uh, new delhi he has got achievements like professor mms sahuja award for the best dm student in endocrinology and uh, 39th ms new delhi convocation he is a recipient of esi ev gandhi award 2018 2021 for the student dissertation and he is the jipmer scientific secretary award 2019 for best original paper he has got more than 100 publications in pubmed index journal and uh, dr pitam chapati is uh, is ems uh, uh, alumni and uh, he has done his uh, 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 ms uh, in ent from ms new delhi and he is also dm dmb and mnms currently is the additional professor in department of uh, uh, auto rhino laryngology and head and neck surgery at all india institute of medical sciences bhubneshwar uh, 55 publication in various journals and he is the principal investigator of many trials so uh, with that we have this esteemed panel and uh, we we'll start uh, with the first presentation where uh, dr jatakas sahu will take us through the various aspects of uh, diabetes mucormycosis and uh, uh, covid the anoli trinity so over to dr jatakas sahu thank you sambit for kind introduction respected panelist uh, uh, my teacher professor sanjay barada from chandigarh dr krishna sesadri from chennai <coughs> dr sambit das and dr pritam both are from bhubneswar and dear delegates at the outset i would like to thank this cc mc wipro uh, for giving me this opportunity <coughs> uh, without wasting much time in uh, next 15 to 20 minutes i will uh, describe uh, in the brief what is the uh, risk factor and pathogenesis and clinical picture of covid 19 associated mycormycosis this will be the plan of my presentation <coughs> introduction risk factors and pathogenesis clinical features and diagnosis uh, prevention and the finally take home messages <coughs> mycormycosis is caused by few genera of fungi in the order mycorels of the phylum mycormycota and the covid 19 associated mycormycosis that is cme cam is the occurrence of mycormycosis which is proven in covid 19 patients uh, rhizopus aureus is the predominant agent causing covid 19 associated mycormycosis in our country what is the burden of uh, covid 19 associated mycormycosis as of 88 as of 8 may 2021 there are there were 20252 active mycormycosis cases in india or uh, from which the majority were from gujarat and maharashtra 
I hope this uh, number would have been increased significantly uh, 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 by end of June. However, out of uh, those cases, only three, approximately 3,100 cases were published in the literature, uh, out of which more than 95% uh, are from our country. This is a uh, landmark study published recently uh, in uh, emerging emerging infectious disease by Patel et al. Uh, this is a, this is a multi-center study across uh, uh, India. Here they have shown the prevalence of COVID associated mycomycosis in COVID-19 hospitalized patients overall it is 0.27% and in ICU patients it is 1.6%. Uh, and compared to 2019, there was 2.1 fold increase in COVID-19 associated micromycosis cases in 2020. So what are the risk factors? The most uh, uh, important factors um, uh, were uh, poor hygiene and uh, uh, drugs, different drugs use and uh, immunosuppression. So first uh, uh, we'll discuss poor hygiene. So in four hygiene includes different uh, aspects uh, like contaminated oxygen gas cylinder. This is one of the uh, hypotheses uh, because of shortage of medical oxygen supply, we have used industrial oxygen cylinders, which, which might have uh, contaminated with the fungus. And second thing is the oxygen humidifier and concentrator, which we are using in the hospital, particularly the water we are using that might have been contaminated with this fungus because fungus is present everywhere in a country, particularly hot, humid climate. And second one is poor personal hygiene. The patient is using masks for a longer time without proper cleaning or patient is <clears throat> staying in a damp environment after being discharged from the hospital after COVID-19 recovery. These are the possible factors related to poor hygiene. Second is alteration in commensal flora. This is this leads to growth of mucus uh, in our in uh, in the commensal flora, and this is basically because of two factors. One is injudicious use of broad spectrum antibiotics in a viral infection like COVID-19, and unnecessary use of antifungal prophylaxis like buriconazole, which we, which is not only uh, ineffective against mycomycosis, other it will promote the growth of mucus. The third one is immunosuppression. This is called as triple immunosuppression. First one is the immunodispensation by the virus itself. And second is because of associated phagocytic dysfunction, because of hyperglycemia and acidosis. The third one is use of immunomodulator like glucocorticoid and interleukin-6 antagonist like tocilizumab. So uh, uh, immunosuppression also contributes. So these are the various types of hyperglycemia we encountered in a COVID-19 patients. It can be established diabetes or new onset undiagnosed diabetes, first time diagnosed during COVID-19 infection, either with just simple hyperglycemia or with diabetes ketoacidosis. And another category is just, just COVID-19 induced hyperglycemia because COVID-19 virus itself damages the beta cell and also because of cytokine storm that will be associated insulin resistance. Both can lead to temporary COVID-19 induced hyperglycemia. And the last one is if the patient may develop hyperglycemia only after starting steroid. So these are the various types of hyperglycemia we encounter in COVID-19 patients. The fourth uh, uh, risk 
factor is the presence of growth factor. Once mucor has entered it, human body, it can grow nicely if these factors are there. The most important thing is presence of serum-free iron. And COVID-19, because of the acute inflammatory condition, the ferritin level will be very high. And associated with the, uh, acidosis, the free iron will be high. And, and on top of this free iron, giving unnecessary zinc supplementation, and in the background of hypoxia and ketosis, the fungi will grow like anything. To sum it up, if you see, the, if you uh, categorize this risk factor in three groups, the first one is the poor hygiene, and because of altered commensal flora, the virus will enter to the respective tract through inhalation once this uh, uh, sorry uh, uh, fungal once this fungal spore enters the respective tract second thing it will invade because of immunosuppression a third is once it has invaded it grow nicely because we are giving all the growth factors so these are three steps uh, which can simply explain why covid-19 patients are the high risk of micro infection and so i would like to highlight this study if you see uh, uh, this is the, uh, this publication. This has come from China just one year back, just uh, around the toward the end of the first wave. So here they have uh, reviewed systematically all the literature, including English literature and Chinese literature, in May to till May 2020. The conclusion was there was not a single case of uh, micromycosis till that time. Only few cases for fungal infection like Aspergillosis and Candida were documented in COVID-19 patients. And their conclusion was we should be uh, we should be very cautious because in future we may encounter the infrequent fungus like Micro and Cryptococcus, and that has really happened after a few months. So what might be the reason uh, uh, being no micromycosis? is by uh, that time. I think one of the most important factors is the recovery trial, which was published in just one month after this publication in June 2020. After recovery trial shows that is a, the steroid is the only drug which decreases the mortality. There are so people have started to use steroid like anything, and that has leads to hyperglycemia and most likely micromycosis search. This is this is one of the indirectly cloaky how important steroid being a risk factor. Uh, for micromycosis. And another thing is why rhino orbital cerebral micromycosis specifically is common in COVID-19 patients. If you see uh, in a COVID-19 patient being immunosuppressed with high sugar, ketoacidosis, and inhaling uh, fungal spores, once the once a patient is inhaling the fungal spore, either through contaminated oxygen or water or from environment, it should go to the direct lungs. And the lungs is lung is in a very bad state. So ideally, patients would develop the pulmonary micromycosis, but that that didn't happen. If you see the literature, majority are rhino orbital micromycosis. So what might be the uh, origin? And another thing is, if you see the literature in the hematological malignant patients who are who are very, very severe immunotropenic and immunosuppressor. So that the most common of form of micromycosis in those patients is not uh, rhino 
orbital cerebral, it is the disseminated and the pulmonary mucosis. If that is the case, then uh, how to explain with the COVID-19 patients being immunosuppressed and inhaling the fungal spores with have, having bad lung, why the infection is just restricted to the upper airway, why it is not going to the lower airway. So this is one of the very important uh, uh, hypotheses and, uh, and documented in animal studies in mice. They have shown the glucosinated protein that is GRP78 is expressed two to five times higher in the nasal epithelium and endothelium of paranasal sinuses and the brain. And it is induced by hyperglycemia, ketoacidosis, and COVID-19 infection itself. And this acts as a receptor for both COVID-19 and rhizopause. This is the most probable mechanism why the infection is restricted to upper airways. And it has, it has shown in some in vitro studies, the statin uh, being preventing the endothelial damage might be helpful in, in preventing and the attaching the fungus to the endothelium so that it can prevent the uh, uh, COVID-associated micromycosis in future clinical trials. And even people have tried uh, iron chelating agents because iron is uh, like is a growth factor for uh, uh, infections. And uh, it has shown in clinical trial also, it is uh, much helpful when you will give combination with uh, amphotericin. So this is the uh, uh, the final pathogenesis model. So you can see in the left of this uh, 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 my slide the uh, the either it is indoor or outdoor or ex or because of ex agricultural ac activities the fungal spore enter the respiratory tract because of steroid use and diabetes and because of presence of GRP seventy eight it will it will attach to the upper airway and enters to the or sinuses and orbits and in presence of iron overload and ketosis, acidosis and zinc, it will grow and finally patient presents with invasive rhino orbital cerebral micromycosis. So what are the clinical features? So there are two types. It is either concurrent like during COVID-19 infection or sequential. That means after recovery of COVID-19 infection. So we should be very, uh, uh, very uh, watchful after being patient, uh, being discharged because the literature has shown as, as long as till uh, 90 days after being discharged from hospital, they may come with micromycosis infection. So these are the common sites of infection out of which rhino, orbital, cerebral, and pulmonary are responsible almost 99% of cases. There are a few case reports of um, gastric ulcer and palatal ulcer uh, and skin ulcer because of mycor in COVID-19 patients, but 95 to 96% cases are uh, rhino, orbital, cerebral, and one or two percent are pulmonary and rest are other rare sites. So uh, what are the clinical features? So this is the, this, the clinical feature was proposed by Smith et al. in long back in 1950. Till now, we're using the same clinical feature, the black necrotic turbinates or palate, blood tinged nasal discharge and the facial pain in the same side, sub-periorbital or perinasal swelling with the discoloration and induration ptosis, proptosis, and ophthalmoplasia, and finally, multiple canal palsy and other focal neurological deficits if there is cerebral involvement. So here you can see all these findings in one of the patients. You can see there is black discharge from the both nose and mouth. There is perinasal and periorbital swelling. There is induration, discoloration. There is ptosis, that is fixed eyeballs, all classical features of rhino-orbital uh, micromycosis, but this patient didn't have the brain involvement, uh, <coughs> uh, <coughs> so it is uh, rhino orbital uh, micromycosis. And the pulmonary uh, COVID-associated micromycosis, we can get fever, cough, expectoration, dyspnea, 
purely fusion and worsening hypoxemia and sometimes hemoptysis. <clears throat> so how will that diagnose in a patient of COVID-19 as a mechanism? If you clinically, you will suspect the next is my lab diagnosis. So lab diagnosis, we can do by microscopy, by culture or histopathology. Microscopy, we can use either KOH or lactophenol cotton blue. This is a lactophenol cotton blue smear. You can appreciate these are, <coughs> these are fungal hyphae. This is thick walled aseptic. There's no septa with 90 degree branching. This is a classical feature of necromycosis. If you are not getting micro microscopy, we can put in the culture, uh, like in, uh, the specimen like lazar secretion or the tracheal aspirate or valve, and then you can do microscopy. If you are getting the debrided tissue, you can do these various stains. The gomery methanamine silver stain can diagnose the organism, and the pass and HE stain can show the other features of organism like thrombosis and hemorrhage and vascular invasion. In addition to clinical features and uh, lab diagnosis, we can confirm by imaging also. So CT scan is, uh, uh, because of logistic issue in, COVID, in infected patients like COVID-19, CT scan is easy to do rather than MRI, but MRI is better if it is possible. So here you can see in that patient, I've shown the figure, rhino orbital micromycosis, compared to the uh, right side, the left side inferior turbinate is thickened. Compared to the right maxilla, left maxilla is full of secretions. Even left side ethmoid also full of secretions. So, so it is pan sinusitis with nasal infection. And if you compare to the right orbit, the left orbit, you can appreciate the medial rectus and inferior rectus muscles are thickened and there is surrounding tissue stranding. It's a classical feature of nasal sinus and orbital uh, micromycosis. Here, one of the case report of pulmonary micromycosis published from PGI Chandigarh. Here, the patient has developed micromycosis during recovery from COVID-19, and the patient has received treatment and, and uh, completely recovered, waiting for lobectomy, and this is the classical cavity because of micromycosis in this patient. And so what are the prognosis? Progress is very bad. It is 30 to 50% mortality. And this depends on how early patient is presenting or the severity of underlying condition and what the site of infection. The, uh, the brain involvement uh, is, uh, is very bad prognosis. So this is the last part of my talk, how to prevent. The most important thing is control hyperglycemia, not only during admission, also during post-discharge. Use various drugs, judiciously, particularly steroid, minimum dose for minimum duration. Use clean steroid water for humidifier, maintain good hygiene, and educate people about the early signs. It's very important, particularly during discharge from the hospital. So finally, the take-home message, most COVID-associated micromicrosis cases were reported from our country. Rhino, orbital, cerebral, COVID-associated micromycosis is the most common form. Improper use of steroid and hyperglycemia are the two important risk factors. This should be suspected even a few weeks after recovery from COVID-19, up to 30, up to 90 days after being discharged from the hospital. And the early diagnosis and treatment of COVID-19-associated micromycosis will decrease the mortality. Thank you for your kind attention. So uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Jayaprakash. That was a wonderful presentation, very simple and lucid and very up-to-date. So uh, we'll go to the next uh, speaker. Uh, so Dr. Pritam will present about the uh, management issues, both uh, medical and the surgical management. So over to Dr. Pritam, and then we'll have a panel.
so uh, at the outset i want to uh, thank uh, dr sambit for uh, making me part of this uh, lovely program and uh, i really feel privileged and honored to be on the same platform as the stalwarts and who is who of endocrinology it's a real privilege uh, uh, from my side and i thank him and all the other speakers uh, for this lovely opportunity thank you very much uh so today uh, from an ent perspective i'm going to be talking about mucormycosis improving the outcomes with management now this talk is basically uh something close to our heart because we are as of now struggling because we have had a late surge in of covid-19 in the eastern zone and especially in the our state of odisha so our numbers of mucormycosis are acutely on the rise and uh, we are managing them and this talk is uh somehow uh, morely most oriented towards what practical problems we are facing and how are we overcoming them and what have we learned because as students right from uh, delhi and to now uh, we have been facing mucormycosis but things have changed and this talk will be uh, primarily looking at what has changed and uh, how this covid associated mucormycosis is different and how are we coping with uh, this outbreak uh to begin with we we are uh, really overwhelmed by the disease itself so we uh, during the first wave heard about invasive fungal disease uh, going up in the european nations which was mainly related to uh, aspergillus and uh, we were worried that yes this could occur uh, down in india uh, but the indian subcontinent uh, uh, unfortunately harbors the mucor species a lot and uh, that's the reason why we have uh, contributed to the mucor mycosis uh, cases intensely uh, in the past and even now we are uh, contributing to the mucor mycosis uh, global uh, issue uh, in a major way so the major concern with uh, invasive uh, fungal disease or with especially with mucormycosis is the significant mortality rates and uh, which sort of reaches uh, up to a high levels of 80% once the uh, intracranial cavity is uh, involved uh so this sort of brings a very very uh, uh grim picture in front of us so it's like a dead tunnel or a, or a dark tunnel in front of us but with advent of very good radiology with with uh, uh good support from our uh, colleagues from endocrinology ophthalmology neurology and infectious diseases we are able to see the light at the end of the tunnel and we are able to cope up in a better way and definitely our mortality or morbidity rates are not as high as what was there previously so this is a battle for sure definitely and there are many rules in a battle that one needs to follow and one of the most important rule that i felt uh, which is very important uh, is given by uh, sun tzu he was a uh, he was a chinese uh, war expert and a strategist so he feels that if you know uh, either your uh, you should know both the uh, enemy and yourself to win a battle and uh, dr uh, jay prakash sahu put it very well so he has given us all the idea about the uh, enemy that's the mucor uh, species and we know about it but what my talk is going to concentrate about is uh, what do we know about ourselves and how do we take it and manage this mucormycosis so ourselves means what are we facing so what are we facing is that massive surge of cases we have around 28000 more than 28000 and the numbers uh, are rapidly increasing further so there is a massive increase in cases and more than this what is more uh, overwhelming for us is the limited medical supplies that we have and there is a acute increase in demand of uh, 
the antifungal medication, which is solely amphotericin B. And then we are in huge amount of shortage of this drug and we need to work our way around it so that we are able to provide the best of the outcomes for our patients, which is our prime duty. So what's new in this? So mucomycosis has been there, but what have we learned or what's new is that it's one COVID associated. And the second one is always a question which majority of the ENT practitioners would uh, discuss uh, in their forums is that is it atypical? So yes, uh, it's COVID associated. So you're not just not just going on taking care of the mucor in the sinuses, in the orbit and the brain or the chest. You're also dealing with poor lung status. You're dealing with uh, possible strokes. You're dealing with possible vascular changes. You're, you're dealing with possible emboli and other problems. So it's not a straightforward or a simple sort of a scenario where uh, you're taking care of mucor and you expect things to improve. You also have to keep in mind that you are at the same uh, in, in the same way managing the COVID also in these patients and post-COVID sequelae are something uh, which is which everyone is aware of and we need to be uh, aware that these could strike at any moment of time and they would cause significant morbidity in the patients. So it's time to adapt. So we need to adapt ourselves to manage mucor and COVID together. So initially we were just concerned regarding mucor but now we have to adapt and make a planning based on what you're going to expect with COVID also. So one of the major thing that we have found is when patients come quite delayed to us is that this patient should not have had COVID because he's immunocompetent. So there are huge studies which have clearly shown uh, that uh, there has been outbreaks of uh, mucormycosis even in hospital settings, even in settings where people are immunocompetent. So definitely outbreaks are possible in immunocompetent population and you need to be aware that if somebody is immunocompetent, yet they might harbor uh, mucormycosis and then you need to test them, you need to uh, biopsy them to make sure that uh, you rule out or rule in a mucormycosis. So it's very, very important that we do not limit ourselves to just immunocompromised population. It's around 80 to 85% that you will see it in immunocompromised population, but it's not unusual to find it in immunocompetent population. So that's when you would delay uh, the diagnosis in a patient and that should be one avoided. So the management, uh, uh, we are all Bollywood buffs and uh, we always had tri-starers, which uh, always are important. They vanquish the enemy for us. So mucor is no different. So we would have a tri-starer approach for a mucormycosis, but this has been tweaked according to what I feel or what our ENT fraternity feels. So we used to think of eliminating predisposing factors. That's one. We would have to do an aggressive surgical debridement. That's two. And then we need to give effective antifungal treatment. Now, with the sudden surge that we have had, we are looking at eliminating or limiting the predisposing factors because, because of the permanent lung damage or because of the permanent sort of damage that's occurring associated with COVID, you might not be able to eliminate the predisposing factor totally. You will have to limit the predisposing factors and work around it. Aggressive early surgical debridement. The early word is very, very important here. As, as we go on, we will show you studies or I'll share the studies where 
uh, how important it is to go for early surgical debridement. And early surgical debridement means that we would have to take this actively COVID positive patients to the OR and then uh, put them under the knife. So that's a big, big, big challenge for majority of the institutes. Then effective and in the present day scenario, continued antifungal treatment. So continued antifungal treatment is very essential. And can we do it all the time? No, but then luckily uh, we in Odisha, as we had a late sort of a surge in COVID-19, our mucormycosis surge has also been late. And now when we are seeing huge increased numbers that are dropping into our uh, institute, we are a little bit better equipped with more amount of uh, uh, medication available to us. But that was not the case, uh, which many of us would agree upon. So what have we encountered? What was our major hurdle? So our major hurdle that we have noticed is uh, with, with more sort of uh, uh, people being aware of uh, uh, mucormycosis. So our institute protocol is now that before every patient of COVID is discharged, we put in our scope and have a look into their nose and paranasal sinuses. So that has led to uh, 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 early detection and maybe an early onset of COVID-associated mucormycosis. So either ways, uh, we don't know that, but we are able to detect them very early. So what are we doing is we are detecting COVID-associated mucormycosis in patients who have active COVID infection. So as I told you, we need to get them in for early surgical debridement, but then they also have the other uh, COVID-related complications going on and COVID-related treatment going on. And one of the major a uh, uh, pillar of COVID treatment has always been steroids. So we need to work around them also. And occasionally, uh, but we have had a couple of patients even with active tuberculosis creeping in. So that's something which was new and which was very difficult for us to work around. So these are certain things that we have encountered and are a major hurdle for us. So an active inflammatory process going on. So as a surgeon, I, I do not want to go into the intricacies of surgery, but uh, as a surgeon, the complications when we do a surgery has definitely gone up. So initially, when we would get away with minimal sort of uh, uh, surgical iatrogenic injuries or other things, uh, these patients are not forgiving. And if you go even a, a little bit wrong, then they do have quite significant complications creeping in. And then when you when you operate on them, because of the involvement of heart because of the involvement of the brain, we do end up with more complications than what we anticipate if you are operating on patients with just mucormycosis, not COVID-associated mucormycosis. And then what we are seeing in our patients is that we just do not have mucor. When we culture them and when we treat them, they are having associated infection of mucor and aspergillus and in some places candida also so we are having mixed infection and then it's very very important that you uh, you have to either uh, make sure that uh, uh, if if mucor is there or not because this fungus could also be just aspergillus or it could be just candida also and then it could be a mixed infection now this has importance when you select the uh, type of antifungal and then decide on what antifungals you want to give to the patient. Our patients, either when they are actively diagnosed or over a period of time, are tending to develop even pulmonary mucormycosis and gastrointestinal mucormycosis. I agree, GI mucormycosis is very, very rare. Uh, it's not something that uh, we usually see, but then we need to keep it in mind because we have seen that this mucor is a little bit atypical and it tends to spread to other areas. Pulmonary 
with the reverse halo sign and all those things you need to be very very uh, careful that you're not missing it and then we are seeing it in our patients and then uh, that needs to be kept in mind when you are treating these patients and you need to look at other systems also which can be infected uh, with mucormycosis so just because ultimately i'm a surgeon i'll just put a couple of points because you would be dealing with your surgical colleagues so there has been a lot of talk uh, regarding what is the best approach and everything so we have pure endoscopic approaches which look wonderfully good on uh, social media and then we have the uh, butcher surgeries where we open up everything and exenterate everything so that looks horribly wrong so i'm not just telling that this is best or that is best but we need to find a bridge between these two so we need to remember that we are dealing with a, a a very morbid disease we are dealing with a very aggressive disease and uh, this is an infection and not a tumor or not a disease which has fixed limits so we uh, as a protocol from the very beginning right from our institute uh, and majority of the institutes across india would agree uh, is that we have a very low cut off or threshold uh, for opening up or giving an external incision for a patient and then going in with an open approach rather than a pure endoscopic approach and our approach is always been an endoscopic assisted approach so this is what i was talking about a very very important factor is if there is a 6 day delay uh, in in initiating management uh, in mucormycosis patients then there's a two fold increase in mortality so that's that's huge mortality that you're looking at and that's the reason why you need to be looking at all your covid-19 patients of whether they have uh, any evidence of mucor or not and then even if they are immunocompromised or immunocompetent you need to make sure that they do not have mucormycosis otherwise we would end up in trouble and that's the reason why we are advocating early surgical debridement even if they are covid positive uh, take them into the or and and debride those tissues and then start your antifungals as early as you can so one of the most important factor for us is to assess the sites as i told you we should not miss out uh, any sites because the radiology is is not something which is very typical one can just not look at the radiology and diagnose a mucormycosis it's not feasible it's a clinical diagnosis and then microbiological and a histopathological diagnosis that you need to make and then the radiology once you know the diagnosis would help you so just the uh, radiology uh, no characteristic signs are there which will tell you that this is mucormycosis so a clinical assessment is very very essential uh, and what we are uh, uh, reviewing in our patients our set of patients is something that i would love to share uh, we are seeing a very high propensity for uh, intracranial uh, uh, involvement so you can see multiple ischemia you can see uh, uh, the uh, the ventricle over there a uh, little bit uh, uh, asymmetric as compared to the opposite so we are seeing a high propensity for intracranial extension that's one thing that we are seeing and then very very uh, atypical is that we do not find the usual black turbinates we do not usually find uh, a necrotic uh, tissue uh, uh, waiting for you to just biopsy or or just look at and make a diagnosis we are just having patients who are presenting with eye symptoms uh, uh, with uh, chemosis and and ptosis uh, and everything and what do you find you find that just the sphenoid sinus is involved just the ethmoid sinus is involved and then from there on it goes into the cavernous sinus from there on it goes into the orbital apex and what i'm trying to tell you here is that uh, 
the ophthalmologist role becomes immensely important here because uh, the the involvement of sinuses is very very atypical so they tend to start off with sphenoid sinus which is which is almost uh no, very very rare in our uh, usual clinical practice so patients could might not have the usual facial swelling usual numbness so all these things might not be present but yet uh, be harboring mucormycosis and that's the reason why many a times these patients when you biopsy them would not turn uh, mucor positive on your koh and that's why you would need to go on and uh, do a culture or send that for histopathology and you need to have a a, a, a high level of suspicion and then initiating uh, amphotericin b treatment so Uh, usually uh, for us we also tend to look for any subcutaneous tissue involvement so these are the things which you cannot take uh, take part or which you cannot uh, uh, manage with endoscopic approaches so uh, just for uh, uh, your fraternity is that uh, not all the cases can be managed endoscopically so uh, if if any of your colleagues or if your ent friends are are wanting to open up then that might be the right way to go forward because we don't want uh, uh the disease to stay back so uh in the present day scenario that's very very important so we have many other uh, approaches which we are there i don't want to go into them uh but what is important is the medical management so once you have done uh, the limitation of the predisposing factors then you have gone on and done an aggressive and early debridement along with starting medical management you need to do proper and continued medical management that is basically antifungal treatment so as of now we have amphotericin b deoxycholate which has been uh, the major pillar for us and which has worked immensely well for us over a, a decade or more than a decade and it has produced wonderfully good results for our teachers uh, and for our uh, own fraternity for a long period of time so we have conventional amphotericin b and then we have the lipid uh, preparations of the amphotericin b which is there so nowadays what is easily available is the liposomal amphotericin b or the lipid emulsion which at least we are getting a lot supplied and then uh, we we manage these patients with uh, lipid emulsion at 2 to 3 mg per kg body weight and liposomal at 5 mg per kg body weight and uh, the deoxycholate is usually uh, 0.8 mg per kg body weight or 1 mg per kg body weight so the the problem when you using these is we have limited vials so can you exactly use say for example you want to use a uh, in a 60 kg patient you are doing it at a 1 mg per kg body weight and you want to open up two vials which will amount to 100 and then just use 60 out of it now with 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 huge scarcity of vials you might not be able to do that and then you would want to stick on to giving 50 to multiple patients because all these patients are scattered and then it's very difficult to share between different wards the same vial that you have so these are some practical difficulty we have and we have had uh, good outcomes just by using amphotericin b deoxycholate i know the whole literature and even, even the international guidelines talk of uh, liposomal amphotericin b definitely yes uh, it produces less complications but not necessarily uh, way Too uh, better than the amphotericin B deoxycholate. It 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 has stood the test of time, and amphotericin B deoxycholate is also a very good uh, drug to be used as of now. So, if you if these are the common sort of uh, dosages that uh, we tend to give, we do not go to the 10 milligram per kg body weight dose of liposomal amphotericin B as it has produced uh, uh, quite a number of side effects, and then secondly, the availability is also a major concern. So we have. 
uh, not got our hands on isabu conazol as of now uh, we it was not available to us uh, posa conazol is something that uh, we have we have we have used and that's the second best alternative if somebody is not able to uh, uh, tolerate the amphotericin b uh, deoxycholate or their gfr is less than 10 or something so all those things uh, we we tend to use uh, posa conazol so just reviewing the uh the dosage again uh, there's a lot of uh, hue and cry of giving very high dosages there are papers which tell you yes uh, a higher dosage is always better so if you are giving in uh, 10 mg per kg body weight dosage it necessarily does not produce the uh, best uh, outcomes and this is the uh, the uh, the lancet chart which basically talks about the uh, treatment so uh, liposomal is what is preferred then we go on and give amphotericin b deoxycholate if that's not available we can go with isavu or posaconazole and if none is available even etra is been is, uh, is been warranted but that's not something that we would uh, want to so these are the adjuvant therapies but uh, uh, we'll have to look at the feasibility in the constraint settings and how much of an evidence it is whether we can use them and for our protocol uh, whenever we suspect a patient with mucor we go on and admit them immediately we start on empirical amphotericin b we send biopsy uh, and koh culture and histopathology uh, immediate debridement and initiate the medication so what is important for the good outcome is that we have to do weekly nasal endoscopies with repeat radiology which is preferably a mri scan and uh, the dosage uh, that we tend to give is not a cumulative dosage we tend to give dosage based on the radiological and clinical responses and we follow up them with oral step down posaconazole therapy for 2 to 6 months and we follow them up with monthly radiology and the long term follow up is for at least an year uh and repeat debridement preferably endoscopic can be done at uh, any time so even though we do uh, quite a morbid surgery it's important that we make sure that they go home uh, alive that's one of the major concepts and uh, thank you and uh, thank you dr pritham that was very enlightening talk and uh, we could learn a lot from that uh, discussion especially the uh, the surgical management and the Uh, medical management so uh, we have now a panel discussion the first few questions have been asked by the audience also and we'll go through because i have mixed them with our panel discussion questions why do we think mucormycosis or why are we seeing mucormycosis have surfaced uh, uh, in india because we have seen this waves many waves in other parts of the world but uh, it's not happening that much in uh, other parts of the world and mostly why it is after uh, during this second wave not in the first wave so uh, dr jayaprakas can you just uh, tell us about uh, why uh, there is uh, this mycormycosis surge so actually uh, there are so many uh, like uh, proposed risk uh, factors and hypotheses but uh, if you see uh, you cannot uh, give the uh, that uh, the conclusion uh, about the specific risk factors if you ask me uh, uh, regarding out of so many risk factors which is important so the first thing is regarding uh, blaming industrial oxygen supply if industrial oxygen supply is really contaminated with fungus come uh, in contrast to the medical oxygen supply then there should have been the surge in the nosocomial infection there should be so many patient would have been infected in his, uh, in a, in a, in, a, in his, uh, at a particular uh, time in a hospital and the, th- the third thing is that's, that the organism should have been the same but that is that is not happening 
so 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 it is very difficult to conclude the the contaminated water the contaminated humidifier the contaminated industrial oxygen supply so i don't know how much uh, we have evidence to blame these are the risk factors the second thing is uh, regarding the immunosuppressed uh, uh, condition that already i have told if you see the trans like hematological malignant patients they are more immunosuppressed compared to covid 19 patients but they don't have rhino orbital micromycosis their most common micromycosis pulmonary and disseminated so i also don't know how much the immunosuppression is contributing but definitely two important factors that is the severe inflammation leading to high uh, serum of free iron with diabetes ketoacidosis with contribution from steroid this is the definitely the most important risk factor leading to the uh, fungal invasion and fungal growth particularly in a country like india where because of hot and humid climate the and the ubiquitous presence of this fungus this might be the most uh, proposed hypothesis and the most important thing is that uh, gpr uh, 78 protein expression in the nasal epithelium and endothelium which helps in the attaching the fungal core protein to this uh, endothelium so so that is uh, the most important uh, reason why this fungal infection is common in covenant patients with background of steroid and hyperglycemia and why it is restricted to upper airway why it is not going to lungs even if their lungs are very bad and it is there present in the air yes Wait, uh, let me just quickly add uh, i think you know one of the things that we should think about is the way uh, we have been aggressively treating uh, rhinocerebral mucormycosis it is not just indiscriminate one is i don't I, i think one of the things that india did in the second wave is not follow a protocol you will find that that you know it is not just use of steroids it is it is completely indiscriminate use of steroids this is one very very high uses of dexamethasone in fact there have been some studies where you know dex uh, they're showing a higher proportion of dexamethasone with the with the with with the mucor at least in one or two it's those associations but the third thing is that prolonged use of steroids is something that you know that no that you don't find in many protocols in the world but you will see that many of these patients actually are sent home on steroids uh, during the uh, during covid this is one thing the second i don't know maybe jay prakash can sort of comment on this is is mask reuse uh, there are lots of recommendations you know that if you have a moist or a humid mask that you really want to don't want to be using it for more than uh, uh 8 hours but but uh, you will find that many of our masks uh, there are even you know diys on how to reuse a mask and then includes cloth masks uh, as well as these. this is the second part uh, uh the third thing of course is that that our diabetes uh, percentage our population diabetes itself is higher than any other western country so these are the things that i wanted to add to what jay prakash thankfully you know he rescued me from an uh, and i actually made much better points than i would have that's really nice thank you so much thank you thank you sir i think uh, i i liked uh, the logical explanation and one explanation is that the recovery trial was there between first wave and the second wave <laughs> after that there was high use of steroids in the second wave so that might be the cause so uh, coming to the next question i think uh, sanjay sir is there and uh, we have huge number of publications from 
PGA Chandigarh and just 15 days back, uh, sir was a lead author of a uh systematic review and meta analysis of uh, all the covid cases across india so what's your experience sir and uh, at what uh, how the present uh, in uh, pga and how they are getting managed sir you have to unmute yourself yeah thank you dr sandeep uh, and uh, all team for the opportunity nice question so i think uh, Here in CGI, the Mayor is very well known, and uh, since many residents come from uh, all over the country to CGI, we keep asking them, "Do you have the patients of Mayor or senior MD?" They so most of them say, "No, we have not seen the patient." But same time, here in CGI, this is a very common disease, not an uncommon disease at all. So, in addition to that, uh, what are the various factors? Maybe humidity, maybe one of the factors. Maybe excessive use of pesticides may be one of the factors. So here, this part of country, these things are already there. Now the question is that in PGI, what is the difference between mucor presentation uh, during these days? So it is a variable response indeed. Many patients having very mild symptoms, just some swelling around the eyes or maybe the maxillary area. On the contrary, some patients are coming with the full blown. Uh, Rhinal cerebral mucor mycosis presenting with the stroke directly. Like uh, right now, we have two two patients admitted with MCA directly in fast because of the mucor mycosis. So the presentation is variable from very mild symptoms to extensive symptoms are there. And it depends probably on the patient attitude that how early they contact to the physician, and maybe other thing is the how physicians are aware about this disease that. This may be one of the presentation of mucor mycosis. Other thing is why this is much more common because diabetes was earlier there, steroid use was earlier there. It is not a new thing for us. The glycemic control also not never been a very very good diet, but now it is deteriorated. Now it is not that good. A very nice paper recently published and they showed that uh, mucor mycosis. Sorry, this. Uh, Uh, called the COVID virus itself is actually causing endothelitis and epithelitis actually, and already these uh, uh, these mucorels are actually commensals in the nasal cavity, and because of this uh, COVID nineteen virus causing endothelitis and epithelitis that actually predispose for entry of these mucorels to the circulation. And now the question comes is that maybe uh, use of steroid, high blood glucose may may not be full-blown diabetic ketoacidosis, but might be having acidosis. And we know that this fungus is loves three things: it is a serophilic angioangiogenesis and uh, serophilic and angioangiogenesis. These two very important characteristics and very high level of ferritin that might be further predisposing for available uh, free iron for use of this. Uh, mucor mycosis. So these are the uh, varied presentation. These are some of the mechanisms. Thank you, sir. Uh, so one of the question from the panelist and it, that is very uh, important actually, as Dr. Pritham has told that uh, it's like myocardial infarction. It's time is tissue. So uh, what are the earliest signs and uh, uh, what are the earliest predictors which we may actually pick up so early so that. Actually, manage them properly. So, Dr. JP and Dr. Pitham, you are working directly with the mucor mycosis cases. So, you can actually tell what are the and how early we can detect a mucor mycosis. 
ஒருத்தர்ட்டல்ஸ்ட்ரேட்டிவ்ட்ரேட்டிவ் Uh, so there is a lot of numbness that you see in the premaxillary area that's one of the earliest signs that you can easily notice if you have something uh, in a normal sinusitis you would not have that so as i told you the the radiology is not characteristic but if you have a radiology which shows you that there is evidence of sinusitis or fluid in the uh maxilla so the then there will be a lot of numbness and this is something i've learned from my uh, pgi professors uh, who are there so uh, when we go there so they taught us this and that's something we appreciate the normal bloody nasal discharge any nasal discharge which is unilateral is very very important and once there is early neurological in, uh, involvement so it's not mandatory that they come with full blown uh, uh, intracranial involvement but if somebody is having these symptoms and they complain of headache early headache is a very very important symptom which tells you that they are having some meningeal irritation or meningeal involvement and then if they are having pain in the orbit retroorbital pain so these are factors which tell you that it is spreading from the primary uh, rhino uh, sinus involvement to the orbit or the brain so for us numbness headache retroorbital pain and uh, chemosis of the eye or congestion of the eye are very very important uh, symptoms that we should not neglect <clears throat> i would like to add uh, one or two points uh, whatever pitham has told actually uh, the, so these are very important uh, uh, signs so that we can detect early so that uh, we can avoid the mortality so one important thing for physicians or particularly one is we should not assume this pain whatever dr pitham has told this pain or this uh, Uh, uh this eye complaints because of diabetes some patients they should think okay this pain is maybe because of diabetic neuropathy and this uh, this uh, uh, this headache and the visual complaint maybe because of ophthalmic vein thrombosis which is a complications of covid induced thrombosis in diabetes patient so we should not assume it is just simple complications of diabetes unless we we'll rule out the the mucor is sitting there so these are very important uh, points and one uh, thing i used to uh, stress upon what dr pritham has told during his presentation delay in 6 days increases in diagnosis increases so makes the double the mortality that's a very important point so you should not delay the diagnosis yes sir no, dr krishna may i ask a supplementary question to the two of you uh, has there been anyone who's looked at to see if the tissue shows any microvascular uh, uh, coagulopathy or something because one of the things that people have talked about uh, is that uh, that 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 one is you know you besides the acidosis uh, some amount of uh, local ischemia can be contributory and and we have seen in the covid 19 thing that you know that uh, there is a high degree of coagulopathy that is involved Uh, is is do you see that uh, has the pathologist ever commented about the, uh, about coagulation in a microvascular level uh yes sir are uh, very very uh, nice question sir uh, the the pathologists have always mentioned in our specimens that uh, there is uh, evidence of uh, microthrombus which is there and uh, thrombosis and obstruction of the vessels is something that is commonly seen in majority of our specimens 
so that's there and secondarily uh, what is important is as i showed in my slides many of these patients are are coming with orbital complications without direct involvement of the orbit and that is because of the uh, cro central retinal artery occlusion or posterior ischemic optic neuropathy just because of the small emboli or the fungus being angioinvasive going in there and causing this problem so definitely yes we are seeing a lot of uh, these changes uh, i would like to add one point so uh, uh, to the, what krishna sir has told like in hypoxia by by causing thrombosis and local hypoxia not only uh, the uh, invasiveness of fungus increases it also grows better so that is <clears throat> that means the reason oh, dr pitam has shown in one of his slide the hyperbaric oxygen is proposed as one of the theory one of the treatment of modality because the low oxygen concentration enhances the growth of fungus and the hyperbaric oxygen maybe that's a proposed as one of the new form of therapy at least uh, to uh, control the local growth of uh, mycor sanjay sir i would, would like to add uh, uh, a few things regarding the patho the pathology findings what krishna sir has asked actually that is correct absolutely because all these things are helping the fungus to grow and as i mentioned this angioinvasiveness it is there and on the top of this thrombosis is there that will further produce local hypoxia and this local local hypoxia will predispose for acidosis actually and this acidosis might be we know that this fungus is uh, require acidophilic environment for the growth so that will further add into growth and that may be one of the reason that it is increasing very rapidly thank you sir so uh, i think another question which has been asked is uh, pertaining to what dr krishna has already told that in the second wave we have not followed the protocol actually so and we have been using lots of loads of tons of uh, different uh, uh, micronutrients vitamins minerals and all those things so uh, are they in any uh, way they are helpful and uh, or they are indirectly related to this mucor mycosis that because this gene and all are never used in Uh, us or uk so uh, are they one of the cause of uh, covid 19 and sanjay sir uh, team has uh, recently with ashur astogi has published one article on vitamin d supplementation in covid 19 and how they have helped so i think both krishna sir and uh, sanjay sir can tell us about uh, that thing so first to dr krishna see we can never say you know i uh, that from from in vitro evidences and and i think it was one published study uh, that looked at you know that uh, that the that zinc seems to be a, a good promoter of fungal growth but uh, it is very difficult to recreate that that kind of an environment in 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 uh, patients uh, the body does have effective ways of filtering out uh, zinc so it, it uh, i don't think it is it is sort of accumulating in these tissues and this is one traditionally uh, the use of desferoxamin has been has been associated with the, the use of uh, uh, of uh, mucormycosis as opposed to the the newer version the desiferox which actually seems to help uh, but but we don't have data on that now the question is that what desferoxamin does is it sort of uh, uh, liberates more iron and to be available inside the body Is zinc facilitating uh, a greater amount of tissue iron is a question. I don't 
I don't have the answer to, but I've had people who speculate on this. So clearly, one of the things that's happening is a certain amount of excessive iron that is being received. Uh, uh, whether whether giving iron orally does that, I don't think so. I don't think that 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 just oral iron intake is going to do that, unless someone someone is drinking tons and tons of it. The third thing that we don't know is. Uh, are, are there, you know, for example, herbal preparations that are facilitating uh, the the uh, what is it called the uh, uh, the uh, the movement of iron into the circulation? That is the other question that we don't know answer to it. But but most of it, this is probably conjecture in my opinion. Uh, even vitamin D, which I think uh, Sanjay uh, will will talk a lot more about than I am. I will. I have been chasing vitamin D for many years. Uh, what is what we don't what we know for sure is that white, while the the vitamin D that we see in the blood is not the vitamin D that is a paracrine or an intercrine uh, hormone. Now uh, the fact is that most of our patients are vitamin D deficient, and 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 it might just be an availability uh, bias that says that you know vitamin D probably makes it better. So, in my view, none of these are, are, are answers. What we do know is that yes, we have a lot of diabetics. We know that uh, we have used a lot of steroids, which which is a predisposing factor. And and uh, there is this is a microinfarct-based disease, as both uh, Pritam and Jayaprakash said. I think everything else is 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 conjecture at this point of time. Maybe uh, and uh, I would not like to. Uh, so association cannot be causal. We need to have causality to be shown before we sort of diss out and say this is what is causing. So at this point of time, do not take zinc because it has not been shown to work. Do not take iron because it's not been shown to work. Do not take any of these supplements because none of these have been shown to work. But I don't think that they are specifically responsible for the uh, uh, mucormycosis. Sanjay, I hope that was not too bad. Yeah. So actually regarding the zinc, you, as you said that... Uh, Theoretically, yes, zinc will provide uh, free iron, and that may be uh, the cause for uh, increasing number. But I'm not sure really it is working or not. As you said, causality causality is not uh, proven. Regarding vitamin D, there are lots of studies are there, and uh, one study published by our department of Ashu, and they showed that high dose of vitamin D, if it is given, the recovery is fast. So that is one thing. And we recently published a meta-analysis uh, in which we have shown that if vitamin D is given in high doses, after a patient is developing COVID, and then the outcome is good. So that is there, and that is uh, high means approximately three to six like of vitamin D. So one thing is that there is no study that says vitamin D is harmful. Either studies are favoring vitamin D supplementation, or the results are equivocal. So what I say at this juncture is that vitamin D supplementation is recommended uh, while the zinc can be stopped for a while because we are not sure it is really working or not or it is helping or not. But there is a doubt that it can cause harm. So we can stop zinc but continue with the vitamin D supplement. Thank you, sir. I think that was... Uh, so uh, the next question to Dr. JP and Dr. Pritam is that after this uh, black fungus theory in the media, there uh, there was a resurface of almost a 
uh, rainbow of fungus uh, in media so white fungus yellow fungus uh, indigo fungus so what's your opinion and just tell the important fungus because there was a question like uh, what is white fungus in the chat box so you can uh, tell that this is a very good uh, question samir actually i have discussed uh, this different uh, type of colored fungus with one of my colleagues uh, in the microbiology department here so what uh, i have got the information so so basically uh, this is the appearance of this uh, growth of this fungus either in vitro or in vivo so black fungus uh, 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 means mostly related to the mycormycosis which we have discussed today and the yellow or green fungus that refers to aspergillus so aspergillus is another fungus and depending on the type of species some aspergillus is aspergillus fungus will grow uh, like uh, uh, like in uh, when they grow they will produce green color and some will produce yellow color so uh, yellow or green fungus refers to aspergillosis and the, the third one is the white uh, fungus so white fungus basically it refers to candidiasis so when where is uh, when somebody is having candidiasis there will be white color uh, appearance uh, whether in the mouth or esophagus or genital infection so we used to call candidal thrush so this is basically uh, in the brief you can tell black fungus is uh, mycormycosis and the yellow or uh, green fungus is aspergillosis and the white fungus is uh, candidiasis Vikram, you. you would like to add uh, anything? Yeah, I would just want to convey that yes, these are misnomers and they are not supposed to be used. But the uh, general public uh, uh, tends to love using these colors with it. But yes, it's basically related to the species. And what's important is selecting the appropriate uh, antifungals based on it. So if somebody has a candida auris or something, then you want to look at a capsid fungin and uh, not just looking at uh, amphotericin B. So. you want to give a dual therapy or not or something that's more important and vital for the outcome of the patient tom can i just ask you a question sambit if it's okay isn't isn't uh, isn't eucermycetes uh, itself you know their their actual color is white right the black is because of the escher yes sir yes sir you're absolutely right sir it's it's a misnomer it's just because of the necrotic tissue that you there the black fungi are totally different and i've spoken to my uh, microbiology colleagues and uh, they just have a great laugh about it but it's just the necrotic part and that's why it's known as black fungus and then we just call it black fungus and we we love that word black fungus it sounds so ominous isn't it <laughs> yeah, thank yeah. you so much it is, it is, it, black fungus is a creation of the media actually just to show highlight in the media that there is black fungus in nothing like that as you said correctly it is a, a necrotic tissue which is black not rather than the fungus color is black and uh, uh, I, 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 one i would like to add one thing uh, even in medias this yellow fungus white fungus green fungus are coming i don't know how many these color fungus were documented in covid patients from our country sir i, I also don't know most of the publications related to mycormycosis and there are very few publications like uh, aspergillosis or candidiasis like pitomastal fever also mixed infection but i don't know how the media have uh, has got the information regarding different color of fungal infection in patients with covid 19 Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Actually, actually, after before, after before, is coming, and many patients are coming with pulmonary aspergillosis. 
I think it's a, these are misnomer and uh, they should not be used more often. Rather, we should use uh, mycomycosis or aspergillosis. So, uh, next question is uh, for all the panelists actually because because mycomycosis is a condition which has huge burden on the patients. First of all, they have recovered from COVID and now they are again uh, going for a long stressed uh, treatment. And it is also a challenging for a doctor because either they are COVID positive or they have recovered from COVID and the recovery is also not good. And uh, you require a multidisciplinary team, like, uh, like uh, JP cannot manage or Pritam cannot manage or uh, I cannot manage. It has to be a completely a multidisciplinary team. So uh, how do you find the challenges in that, both from the patient front and uh, from the uh, treatment front uh, to create a multidisciplinary team. So, Krishna, sir, you want to take this? The first thing I think in all of this is to call for help. If you do not have the expertise to handle handle this, don't do it. And I think that is the first thing I will tell any clinician who comes to it. This is not a this is not a disease that that is you know that you can give a few drugs and get and gets better. It doesn't. It is a frustrating long drawn process. I think that is the first thing that, that any, any practitioner who comes across this must do. So which means find someone who has expertise to do this. The second thing is an, a surgeon who is aggressive, who works with you and who's, who, who is not uh, unwilling to go do the dirty work is also important because I think uh, aspergillosis management and uh, you know, whether it is COVID-related or the ones that we have seen over here. Remember that uh, aspergillus actually comes in even after pandemic. It's not just COVID. It has come after wars. It has come after conflict. It comes after many things. It is, it is you know, it is an aftermath of the, of the four forces of death. It does come. It's, it, it cleans up after that. So it is, it is present. So the second thing is that, you know, you need a surgeon who is willing to deprive. The surgeon is not willing to debride, then you, you better, you know, find another one. This is the second part. The third part is that uh, uh, do not take shortcuts. I think this is very important because there are a lot of people who are talking about moving straight to salvage therapy or not. The best thing is to stay with stepwise therapy and work. Lastly, uh, is, is something that, that uh, you and I, uh, Sambit, are qualified to do and, J, and, and JP and Sanjay is is, is work with a patient on exceptional glucose control. In the olden days, uh, when a patient had uh, rhinocerebral mycromycosis, that would be one of the indications for insulin. Uh, uh, simply because uh, at that time, they felt that, you know, that, that the ketonemia is, 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 uh, is, is one of those things that happens, uh, uh, that, that actually uh, propagates the rhinocerebral mycromycosis of the skin. So the, of course, the question we have is, should we stop SGLT2 inhibitors and somebody who's got rhinocerebral mycromycosis? I don't have the answer to it, but I think this is it. Also involve the family, make sure that, you know, that, that they understand that this is not just giving an antibiotic and getting it ready. The surgeon may have to go in many, many times to debride it. And you just have to keep working with the surgeon and doing it. Remember that uh, this is a thing that, you know, I've heard uh, my teachers in infectious disease tell you that, that, you know, that, yeah, you may have have great amounts of amphotericin, but it needs to get there, doesn't it? And that occurs because of, of the hand of a surgeon. I'll leave the others to comment on other things. The, the treatment of mycormycosis is uh, two-way. One is medical management, and the second is surgical debridement. And uh, 
it is very clear that uh, it is very clear that this combination is very very important for the best outcome either uh, alone amphotericin will be not effective and alone surgical debridement will be not effective the reason are multiple because uh, if you do alone amphotericin because of this angioinvasiveness of the fungus the drug will not reach to the site so that is the problem and again let you reduce the burden open it open it up that amphotericin uh, will not work so the combination medical management and surgical management is the key and for that you need good surgeon of course and the best endocrinologist for good glycemic control correct sir uh, i think the pritham uh, yes yeah pritham your comments Oh uh, yeah, so uh, Dr. Sambit, I will be very, very practical in what we have done. Uh, as I told you, we are having uh, increased propensity this time for orbital involvement and intracranial involvement. So our uh, main strategy has been to create a separate ward for a mucor mycosis or a, or a unit for a mucor mycosis where we take rounds and every faculty is like made in charge. So we have ENT, ophthalmology, endocrinology primarily taking care of these patients. associated with nephrologist and neurologist so it's a team that we discuss we have mails we have whatsapp groups where we discuss individual patients and decide on what needs to be done and how we need to uh, take it further so that's something that has helped where we have faced a major hurdle is when a patient is covid positive and then in the positive ward when they are scattered everywhere to go down and get multiple specialties working on a single patient that's where we have not delivered and uh, with the cases coming down maybe that will improve but that's where uh, we really uh, couldn't do much because that's very very difficult okay sure uh, dr okay. jp how you are managing in so, uh, in addition to whatever uh, the most important points are highlighted by krishna sir sandeep sir and pritham so other than the medical part if you see uh, the like the uh, family members and the whole family of a covid patients recovering and having mycormycosis it's a huge mental and financial burden yeah. it is not matter of one day or two day the treatment is will going to for weeks to months patient will have amphotericin liposomal amphotericin is not available everywhere patient will have renal side effect multiple dyslexia and patient require multiple surgery by ent surgeon by ophthalmologist by neurosurgeon after everything is settled then the, the role of plastic surgeon will come the, so the, to, for the cosmetic surgery so imagine so for a patient uh, like coming from mid, lower middle class family or poor family in a country like india so is going to be treated for weeks to month with multiple surgeries so 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 when we will interact with the patients or family members we have to explain all these things it's not a one day or two day or three day story so this is going to be for a few weeks and at pritham hospital even we have to follow for one year that may be chance of recurrent patient may require the uh, like the repeat surgery so we have to explain and patient family particular family members they need counseling yes uh, so uh, pritham just in continuation so there are two three questions actually have been asked in the back end also in the chat box that they are asking uh, for the amphotericin and how long they should give how long they should keep the patient in the hospital and uh, whether other antifungals are also active so uh, just uh, quick comments on that 
Yes. So I'll keep it basically based on our protocol. Uh, so the antifungal has to be immediately initiated as the patient walks in. You are suspecting empirically considering it's an epidemic. Start amphotericin B. That's one. Second, all the amphotericin B uh, available in the market work wonderfully well. There is a hue and cry that amphotericin B deoxycholate doesn't work, but it's 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 a myth. It works wonderfully well. So you can start with amphotericin B deoxycholate also. Initially, there was a thought that we need to give 2 grams, we need to give 5 grams, we need to give 10 grams. Okay, for an amphotericin B deoxycholate, your target is 2 grams. For liposomal, only in the uh, rhino cerebral, uh, in the rhino orbital, you would aim for 5 grams. For intracranial, you aim for 10 grams. But that is not the protocol that we follow now. It is basically you give them medication at least for 3 weeks and then with uh, clinical, that is endoscopy and radiological resolution. So when you find that clinically and uh, uh, radiologically, the patient seems to be free of the disease, then you can step down the therapy. Just considering that the patient has to stay for too long, if you think that your posaconazole will work wonders and step down, majority of these patients will come back to your office with a massive intracranial complication or intraorbital complication. And posaconazole has huge amount of drug interaction and the trough levels are mandatory, which are not available, unfortunately, in majority of the places in India. And you cannot totally rely on posaconazole. It's for those microscopic areas that posaconazole works. So you have to primarily take care with surgery and amphotericin B and then you would shift over to posaconazole just to just to aid you further that there is no further recurrence. Delayed recurrence is a massive problem and you need to follow them up with monthly scans and that's the reason why we spoke about MRI scan and not CT just to avoid the radiation. I think that's very uh, short, crisp and uh informative so thank you uh, so uh, the next thing is that uh, we have uh, just a couple of minutes left so um, steroid is one of the cause uh, and we all have discussed about that steroid induced hyperglycemia has been the cause and it's difficult to manage actually both patients who are in uh, not hospitalized who are in home isolation in uh, moderate or mild to severity or in the those who are in hospitalized so uh, my question to uh, both to Krishna sir and to Sanjay sir, what are the issues in management of, uh, or how can we manage better uh, for steroid-induced hyperglycemia? For OEDs, uh, Krishna sir and insulin, Sanjay sir. So, so the most important thing is uh, use as as less steroids as, as clinically indicated. That is the first part. You know, if if uh, if an inhaled steroid will work, use it. If if if, if a parental steroid is required. There is no necessity to say that, you know, don't use a steroid. I think if it's indicated, use it. But make sure that you use the right dose and, uh, and, and what is recommended and use it only for the period of recommendation. You, if the steroid is going to be used for less than seven days, there is no need to taper it unless you think that, that you require it for, uh, for inflammation. This is the second part. A lot of times people think that they have to taper every, every steroid. You don't. Uh, if it is if it is not going to cause HPA suppression, you don't need the anti-inflammatory effect. You can taper it. You're not worried about rebounding taper. Second is uh, insulin is your friend, and 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 do not be afraid to use it. A lot of times when daytime steroid is used, it is the evening glucoses that are high. So you you may want to give a supplement of a prandial insulin at big doses uh, in, during lunchtime, and that should take care of you till the uh, till the evening. The most important is, 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 of course, to use a combination of, 
our basal insulin, the prandial insulin, and the supplementary insulin, especially the patient is inside the hospital. If the patient is not in the hospital, one of the things that is very, very important to work with is home glucose monitoring. Uh, using simply like a like a simple glucometer and 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 uh, and you know giving patients simple rules on how to adjust the insulin all work because we are all stressed during the pandemic uh, so so that is in short I, I believe sanjay to take over from you sanjay sir your regarding the oral anti diabetic agent i think uh, a lot of studies are there that BPG4 inhibitors and metformin are preferred or other anti-diabetic agents, no doubt about it. SS for COVID as a diabetes also. Regarding the insulin, I think you know, I think NPH is doing good job because uh, that will mimic the piece of the uh, steroid dose related increase in blood glucose But I found that a uh, very good combination in form of uh, short acting and long acting insulin in the morning and maybe uh, short acting in the lunchtime or so, something like that. Because if you do the steroid in the morning at 8 a.m., then we are likely to see the rising blood glucose that is around pre lunch period and that will go up to the dinner time. And fasting is usually, and fasting is usually normal by that time. So you can give a good so that will take care of the, uh, uh, say, fasting will take care till the dinner time. So that may be one could be another good strategy to uh, control the uh, blood glucose. So that is related to survive. Yeah. Thank you, sir. I think uh, that day we are uh, talking, uh, I was talking with JP and we formulated that old is gold in uh, COVID and uh, steroid use. So JP, can you highlight what is old is gold uh, in terms of insulin? Oh, as already highlighted by Krishna sir and uh, Sandeh sir, uh, among the OAD, we can use metformin uh, if there's no contraindication and DP port inhibitor. And specifically, so many studies uh, have shown, like uh, Brother Sir has told, uh, in DP4 inhibitor, not only takes care of glucose, it also has the independent effect on the COVID outcome. Because of DP4 inhib by inhibiting DP4, it also has immunomodulation action. So DP4 inhibitor metformin should consider. There's no contraindication. And regarding the insulin, so uh, as uh, uh, advised by Sanjay Sir, we should use all three insulins, basal insulin and NPH insulin and short-acting insulin. So as Christian has pointed out, the after giving the morning steroid, the post-breakfast and post-lunch sugar shoots up. So, so, so to take care, particularly the post-breakfast and post-lunch sugar that steroid induced, we have to give so many medications in the morning time. We'll give metformin the patient, there's no contraindication. We'll give one DP4 inhibitor. We'll give NPH, specifically daytime, because the peak action, late peak action of NPH, which causes hyperglycemia and other conditions, is very helpful in the steroid-induced hyperglycemia, which comes towards the post-launch time. So if you target in the morning NPH 
and give the pre-launch regular. So both will take care nicely in the background DP for inhibitor, the post-launch sugar, because post-launch sugar is very difficult to control in the COVID patients following the steroid intake. So morning, at least we should give NPH and before breakfast, before lunch, we should give short acting. Night, we can give a basal insulin like glargin or uh, uh, D2 deck to prevent hyperglycemia. But the NPH role is very important in the daytime. So that's how we should tell all these goals. So we should not forget NPH insulin, which is used to perform uh, inferior in, in contrast to basal insulin when it comes to the hyperglycemia side effect in other conditions. But in COVID patients, steroid into hyperglycemia, the morning basal insulin is not advisable. It has to be replaced with NPH. One interesting point that I wanted to add, and, and I was when you're talking about amphotericin and vitamin D, one of the interesting things that has been shown is that vitamin D deficiency actually increases the nephrotoxicity of liposomal amphotericin. So, so just it just struck me that uh, that uh, you know just just as a point that if you have patients who are on liposomal amphotericin, it may be a good idea to actually measure their vitamin D levels because because it does cause accentuate the nephrotoxicity of uh, liposomal amphotericin. Maybe this may be a good study for you to do actually. Uh, you, you just read my mind, sir. <laughs> JP, I think you know two two publications out of this would be really nice. You should acknowledge you, sir. <laughs> so, uh, I think we have. Uh, Doctor Sambit, there are some questions in Q and A section. If you yeah. can just quickly uh, right, brush right. it off. I think almost uh, we have discussed uh, in bits and pieces okay. all of them. So only one. Uh, Question, I think, uh, just to... So, Sambit, maybe you want to summarize this about, you know, there's a lot of questions here about, you know, the duration of therapy. Yeah, yeah. And maybe that's something that you should yeah, take. Right. In. right. So, can you tell the duration of therapy? Because you have already discussed about that. Yes. Uh, so, uh, the therapy is, whenever you're giving amphotericin B, it is usually at least for a period of three weeks. Uh, and the resolution or stoppage of the therapy of amphotericin B is based on clinical and radiological uh, recovery, which is based on weekly endoscopy and if possible, weekly or at least 10-day based uh, or 10-day interval based MRI scan. The posoconazole therapy has to be started as a step-down therapy when you're stopping amphotericin B. It starts with preferable is always delayed release tablets. The solution is not very good. So you'll have to use delayed release tablets, 300 milligram PD on the first day, and then 300 milligram once daily, which goes on for at least three months. But our protocol is to go for six months. So the, the, the global guideline is three to six months. So this is the, in nutshell, the uh, protocol that we tend to follow. I think uh, we can uh, close now. Uh, there are two questions in the uh, in in uh, uh, So I also don't know the answer. The one question is whether too much fumigation to prevent nosocomial fungal infection is harmful or not. And the second second question is because of uh, taking nasal so swab, is sure. there any chance of uh, acquiring iatrogenic uh, uh, mycormycosis? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, the one answer is, uh, you know, whether fumigation is even required is a big question. Yeah, yeah. Whether it causes mucormycosis, I don't know. But as someone who's interested in infection control, uh, 
A lot of us feel that, you know, this fumigation can overkill even in our OTs. Uh, but we will leave that for another discussion another day. Uh, I, the only thing that I know about over-enthusiastic uh, nasal swab is, you know, causing a, a perforated septum or a, <laughs> or, or a foreign body into the base of the brain. But I think that's, I mean, jokes apart, I don't think we have the answers to that. I think the fumigation which happens with uh, large pipes on the roads, I think they are not required at all. <laughs> I heard, I heard, I heard that people were, I heard that people were being fumigated to get readmitted to to their parties also. So, <laughs> I think uh, the, the, that was a nice discussion. So we are at the fag end of the discussion. We had a uh, nice uh, talks by both JP and Pritam. The risk factors and the hygiene part we had discussed, like uh, how. Uh, we can maintain those hygiene, especially the mask and the humid uh, uh, areas that we discussed. Early diagnosis and very aggressive management, both uh, surgical and uh, uh, medical has been highlighted by Dr. Pritam and that is absolutely necessary. It's only uh, amphotericin B and the aggressive debridement from the very beginning. And these two has to go side by side and there is a prolonged therapy. The long uh, lasting problems of uh, getting a team in a hospital or uh, getting the uh, or the patients getting relief and their uh, relatives for this long run problem has been discussed nicely and uh, finally we discussed about the uh, steroid induced hyperglycemia how it is going to increase the uh, pre lunch post lunch and the evening snack time glucose and how the old is gold or the nph is one of the best insulin where we can give uh, with the steroid in the morning and then short-acting insulin at the morning and the lunchtime, how that's going to help and DP4 and metformin we've discussed. So uh, with that, I think I'll end uh, this panel discussion. Uh, again, my sincere thanks to Sanjay sir, Krishna sir, uh, JP and uh, Dr. Pritam and uh, above all sincere thanks to GCCMC uh, Dr. Mahesh and Dr. Bijay for giving this opportunity. So over to GCCMC. Yeah, so it was a powerful packed session again after a long and uh, we really had a good number of participants uh, getting benefited. So I would like to thank uh, all the panel members again. Uh, it was wonderful. Uh, thank you one and all. Thank you. Thank you all. That's all in today's episode. For more information and resources, visit gccmc.in and deckenherald.co.in. Take care and stay safe.